You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 218 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting with Graham Holbrook from Turtle Doves, which is a company that recycles old cashmere jumpers into brand new products like accessories. They're known for their fingerless gloves, which they sell 200,000 pairs of a year now. And what is really fascinating about the Turtle Doves business is that everything is made by a team of outworkers. In fact, hundreds of outworkers. And Graham's going to talk about how they manage that process and also about a brand new project that Turtle Doves have got going, which is reviving the lost manufacturing process of shoddy. Now, if you don't know what shoddy is, it's when scraps of old wool fabric are ground down and respun into yarn. It's basically recycled wool. It's a process that was very popular at the height of the textile industry in Yorkshire, particularly around the Bradford area. And because recycled and reprocessed wool in this way was seen as being of inferior quality, it's where the word shoddy came from because it was associated with meaning of poor quality. So if you didn't know that fact, you do now. And you'll hear Graham talking about how they're working with someone who's reviving shoddy and they're using the very last scraps of the cashmere jumpers that they can't use in any of their other products. They're having them all reprocessed into brand new yarn by this new shoddy company and they're going to be using that yarn to make brand new products like socks. So if you're interested in recycled clothing, the repurposing of old garments, and also about how the company manages their manufacturing with so many different outworkers, you're going to love this episode. Here you go, over to Graham. Graham, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You have been on my radar for a very long time, as you know, um, because I think actually, I think it was Kate, your ex-business partner, that first got in touch with me when she set the business up. And the business that I had in the early 90s was very similar to what you do now, remaking things out of well, vintage cashmere, I suppose, is the best way of calling it. Do you want to tell everyone? the full story of how the company came about. Yeah, sure. Um, in 2009, um, our two dogs ran into Kate's leg and broke it really badly. And while she was convalescing, she saw an advert in a magazine for fingerless mittens at 65 quid. And she thought that was ridiculous. I can do that a lot cheaper and better. And she went down the local charity shops here in Shrewsbury, bought some sweaters and cut them up and designed an amazing product, uh, which were the fingerless mittens that we still sell many of uh, today. And we will this year sell close to 200,000 pairs of them. Um, wow. That's <clears throat> incredible. 200,000. Amazing. 
all made from offcut still of yeah so we, we we started going down charity shops and, and finding cashmere jumpers and then we shrewsbury ran out of cashmere jumpers because we were using them all and then we were selling the gloves at local markets and then increasingly national markets and then we had one of those moments um which had an amazing effect on the growth of the company where i found a clothing reprocessor in the west midlands that was separating out cashmere jumpers from the rest of the clothes that they were reprocessing and i walked into this room and i just thought there's our future because there were bags and bags and bags and bags and bags of wonderful beautiful secondhand 100 cashmere jumpers uh took those back home and we then changed them from the jumpers into accessories um, most of which we sell we sell today i found out just before christmas that turtle doves i didn't realize Tell everyone where that name comes from. <laughs> and I yes. should know this as someone from the East End. Yeah, it's got the rhyming slang for, for gloves. Um, so mm. it was one of those times when um, when Kate said to me uh, back in 2009, we need a, a name. And I just Googled, you know, back in the day when you had to literally wind up the computer to get it to go on broadband or Google. Um, I just Googled or searched um, Cotney Rhyme slang for gloves. And I shouted through to her, what about turtle doves? And it's one of those very rare moments where Kate said, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So I know from doing something like that, that it's actually, it, you're making it sound easy. Hey, you know, we had this idea, we got a hold of small jumpers. <laughs> and next thing we had £200,000 worth of, of products going out every year. But actually, that it's much more complicated than that, isn't it? Because there's a lot of reprocessing to do when you're using dead stock like that. How how did you kind of manage all that? So it, to begin with, it was just Kate and a sewing machine and a washing machine. Um, and we'd wash the jumpers and cut them up and turn them into, with a sewing machine, the products that Kate wanted to sell. As the, grows, as the business has grown, and we're now interacting with the clothing reprocessors and we're much, much bigger... We obviously had to put in place different processes, delegate a lot more um, and refine our, our skills. And we're always, always struggling to see how we could do things more efficiently. And we've, we've got a massive efficiency drive going on at the moment because although we'd like to think of ourselves as a zero waste business and we use every single part of the jumper, we're not getting the most out of the cashmere that we are sending out to our seamstresses, of which we've got around about 100 at the moment. Wow. Okay. So let's just backtracking on that then. So you do the washing of the jumpers before you cut them. So we did it the other way around. We cut, made, and then washed the finished product. You're doing it. You're getting all the jumpers washed and then you bring them in. You cut them in, cut the pieces in house. Is that right? And then how do they get to the seamstresses? Um, we have, um, this is all massively changed in the last year, but we now have a, um, a local deliver, delivery company using uh, electric vehicles and bikes to uh, take the products, sorry, take the jumpers uh, and the cutting that we do here, and we take those to our seamstresses. It was originally a base of seamstresses just based in Shropshire, and a little bit in mid Wales. And now we've got these two new big manufacturing hubs in Leicester and in Wolverhampton. But these are all ladies still working from home. So the bill we have from the delivery companies is quite steep, but it's also a, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than the lost wages or the hours that we used to incur when the seamstresses would come into us. 
or come and pick up the, the garments oh. and then drop off the finished. It's much cheaper to outsource the logistics and give that to a specialist and then let the seamstresses get on their own homes to make the finished product. So you have a team, so they all they all work, because usually the logistics of managing that, like it, you're making it sound easy again, but it's a lot of different moving parts. And then to have hun- a hundred of them that you manage, how does that work? Are they all women working, like doing it within their own flexible time? Do you pay them by the piece or by the hour? How does that work? We pay them by the piece. They work at their, at their own pace in their own homes, um, which is great for them um, because then the business really grew up around uh, ladies who had their own caring um, and domestic responsibilities. So offering totally flexible hours to the people that work for us, either directly or indirectly, is a business model that's really worked well for us and we will continue that for probably the future of the business as long as I'm involved in it. so, you know, it's uh, and it, it's just amazing. One of the things I've learned in my career, actually, that the quality of the people that you work with is much higher the more flexible the working environment you offer them. So I remember working for Britvic many years ago where there was a no questions asked, Fridays, you can work at home, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, this enabled a lot of people who only wanted to work two or three days or four days, three days away. Um, and it, it quality of the people and the motivation went through the went through the roof and that's a lesson we've learned and we will continue to do that so they love work the fact that they can work from home it's flexible i presume that the product they make is a quite you know one the quite a standard side of items so they what do they do a little test run with you to check that they're up to standard do you provide them with the machines or do they have their own machines because it's all overlocked isn't it um it, it overlocked and flatbed yeah so um what we do is that we the seamstresses have their own machine but they we will provide them with them that machine in, in the first instance and then over the next few weeks or few months we then take a little bit off their wages so that eventually they end up by owning them the, owning the machine ah so they do a kind of lease type of thing with you on the machine so then they've learned those skills so if they also then want to work for someone else which they probably don't need to if you're keeping them that busy but they own their own industrial but machine. it is it's important for them because because of the tax legislation ir35 we do encourage them also to work for other people as well um so you know they can do that you know, from their own home with their own machinery um and one of the other things is that we make sure that they take our cashmere they have very strict guidelines on how to make the products um we're always improving on that and we've learned a lot of lessons since we've all come back from covid um that you know we could get a lot better at giving the guidelines to people and strict manuals videos on this is how you should make the products uh, these are the lessons we've learned you know these are the experts this is how they do it and we've also had to invest quite heavily in qc because um, although our QC department was, you know, pretty hot beforehand with the invention of the new manufacturing hubs, we have experienced some issues where the further away the hubs are from us, the more difficult, particularly during COVID, the more difficult it's been for us to train these people and give them guidelines on what we're expecting. So we've had to invest seriously in QC as a backstop to make sure that none of the products that let's call them, you know, um, the result of uh, early training 
um, get into the supply chain. Um, and uh, so we're very we so we've got very high customer customer scores um, in terms of product quality and service, and we want to retain that. Okay, so tell me more about the Leicester and Wolverhampton hubs. Do you have someone in the local area that manages these hubs? Because, and do you have a roving quality person in each area? No. So this is um, we couldn't do it because of COVID. We only set up the manufacturing hubs um, last year, um, and we took a risk. We took a punt, and basically we 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 almost like used a franchise model where two of our best seamstresses. We appointed them as the head of those hubs who also work from home, but also make sure as best they can that the quality of the product that's coming back back to us it, it, is good enough. And we pay them a finder's fee for finding the seamstresses that we otherwise ah. would not be found really difficult to get hold of. Um, I was going to ask how you found because skills are, you know, good skilled machinists are, are difficult to find so you pay a finder's fee to the person that runs the hub that's interesting yeah, yeah. but what, so we're learning lessons all the time and we haven't got everything right um you know we've managed to increase sales quite spectacularly in the last year and a lot of that is because we've massively increased our seamstress base but we're still learning lots of lessons and we've got a big training day next week where everybody's coming in and for the first time they're going to be at the center we will listen to their advice, listen to what lessons they've learned and what we can learn from them. But fundamentally, it's about, right, this is exactly how you make the products that we want you to make. These are the manuals and the videos that you will use. These are the templates, and these are the changes to some of the controls that we're putting in place to make it more accountable for everybody concerned so that people know that they are, if there are any quality problems, well, we'll keep feeding back to them, but don't expect to be paid until those yeah. quality problems are are, are, are stopped. Uh, and we have changed from a being quite a sort of laid-back company in that respect over the last few years to something that's going to be more akin to a retailer supplier uh, uh, structure where the retailer takes all the risk with the customers. So, therefore, we, are, we stop any uh, unnecessary payments to suppliers that – haven't delivered on time with the right quality and the right quantity. So it's going to be a bit of a culture shift next week. <laughs> so they're going to make good in their own time, basically, which is is the best way to make piecework work, isn't it? Because otherwise people will just make things as quickly as possible to get the most amount of money, but at, at potentially at the expense of quality. So that's interesting. That's how you manage it. Have you got any clever tech that manages that? Or is it literally someone's having to look look at each individual piece? No, we have no clever tech um, on that in that area at all. The, the, the most clever tech that we've got is a sewing machine, um, <laughs> and hu- human beings at this end making sure that what comes in is fully checked. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult in the last two years because of COVID. It's been really difficult um, to invest in technology um, that really really works i think what i'm trying to say is that actually human interaction is so much more important than investing in technology for your dealing with cashmere hardly anybody works with cashmere like we do you know not bits of yeah. cashmere, cashmere jumpers so no amount of tech is going to teach you that how to do it you've got to have the face-to-face interaction uh, and that's what we hope to do a lot more of starting next week 
Yeah, because what do you do? I know we used to have problems with the cashmere in particular, is if you're getting vintage cashmere in, there's often little holes that have gradually over time appeared. And within the cutting, you've got to make sure that you spot all those, haven't you? Yeah, and it's not always possible to do it. I mean, we try our best now. Um, I mean, literally up until about three or four weeks ago, we would literally just wash the jumpers, not check them, send the jumpers to the seamstresses and say, avoid anything that's got holes or stains in. And then what we've realized is actually that's not good enough. We're going to have to invest at this end to make sure that we only send jumpers that have got no holes, no stains on. So that sends a message to everybody that there is now no more excuse. There should not be any holes or stains when it comes back. Everybody makes sewing errors. And sometimes because of the nature of cashmere, you will get holes that will appear but that's got to be after we've sent out the product. So the reason why we invest so much in, in customer service is that we know we're dealing with a very uh, delicate, highly prized material in cashmere, but it is recycled. So things are naturally going to happen that you don't want to happen, which is why we always check at the end first, at the end. Yeah, yeah. So a huge amount of growth then aside from the fact that you've got a fantastic product what else do you attribute that success to and what advice would you give to other businesses who are maybe particularly starting out doing something that is bespoke and sustainable like you do what advice would you give well we've had an awful lot of success online um we tried um, about seven or eight years ago, we tried two different websites, um, which, with, you know, which some worked, some didn't. But what we hadn't realized is that when you're dealing with a website, how successful you are online is all down to how strong the weakest link of your chain is. So, you know, your social media needs to be bang on. If you're working with Facebook, you've got to make sure it links into the right landing pages and you've got to have the right stock uh, uh, levels in, in, in place. You know, you really, it's a, almost like a, it's an unforgivable environment in which to operate. You make mistakes, customers will notice because everything is linked together. Um, and of course, once customers do come to us and we get their email addresses, we can then make a lot of profit from them uh, as long as they decide to come back to us. So your customer service has got to be absolutely bang on. Uh, and we, you know, we'd like to think that we have, well, we have, you know, the scores are, are, are exceptional for us. Uh, and I read the trust pilot scores every morning. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they're getting over Christmas. We had a few problems because we became so successful during November that we had to, we had a two week delay of getting, um, getting, getting products out. We didn't have anything building up to Christmas despite the fact the Royal Mail were somewhat um, delayed. Um, but we had we lost some sales by just sort of stopping doing the marketing so that we could catch up on the sales. But it is oh, I mean, just okay. one thing. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm trying not to ramble here, but I've been, you, you have been so important to us because with the Make a British show that we went to, I think it was either in the Truman Brewery or it was... Um, yes, you spoke dock. on stage, didn't you? It was at Truman Brewery, and and you and Kate spoke on stage. And I think the title was something about making a million with a sewing machine or something. Yes, wasn't it, it was actually. But actually, it was it, the, the bit that was even more important to that happened about three years before that, where we had coffee with the wife of a lady who had just left Accenture, where he'd been putting in the e-commerce solutions to. Uh, Vodafone, B&Q, BT, and he wanted to go solo. And we were one of his very first clients. And and he wrote this wonderful, wonderful report saying this is the way you need to look at the website and how it all links with Facebook. 
And it changed the way we operate. And that was the major or a major driver for growth from that moment onwards, because we invest an awful lot of money in Facebook. So last year we invested somewhere somewhere between seven and eight hundred thousand pounds in Facebook. In advertising on Facebook and Instagram. In advertising on Facebook. Facebook's effectiveness has been majorly curtailed in the last year um, because of the problems that they've had with the iOS solution uh, on the iPhone. So it's people can opt out of the advertising now, but of almost more difficulty is that it's really difficult to work out how much payback you get now for the amount of money you put in. So we're changing the business model so that it's not nearly as reliant on Facebook um, and more on to, to other things, more on the creative management ah. side. Interesting. And what do you mean by creative management? In what way? Because I know, know for a lot of people that Facebook advertising over the last few years has really reaped great rewards. So how, it, it, do you, it how do you replace that? Well, I mean, so it's, it's a bit of a sugar rush. Um, you know, Facebook, you know, the more money you put into it, the more money you get back. And it's, it is a bit like, you know, it's, it's money for a rope. And I think we've been guilty over the last two or three years of relying on that rather than being as creative as we could have been, particularly with products. Um, so we've had, you know, uh, we've had some changes in personnel, changes in structure recently. Um, I've got people much more invigorated and much more empowered to design products themselves without having to worry about, you know, what the bosses think or anything. Um, we have a really good bonus scheme here now. And also just the way that the website operates and being you know, cleverer with lifestyle photographs and, and promotions and just looking at it from a customer's point of view and excite the customer. Um, you know, we've been a little bit, uh, you know, focused too much on growth at all costs over the last few years. Um, and we haven't really invested in time to get teamwork working properly um, and to get more and more ideas out of this wonderful, wonderful patchwork material that we're working with. You know, we, at the moment, we've got 27, 28, 29 different types of products, which is a hell of a lot more than we had as recently as four or five years ago. But, wow, you know, God, there's so many possibilities. So next, uh, in the next three or four weeks, we're going to launch a Harry Potter. Sorry, can I mention his name? The Matt, he who's not, yes. not allowed to be named. So Are you got, allowed to? We've got, the Hogwarts, we've got the Hogwarts products coming out uh, for National Book Week in a, a few weeks' time. Uh, and we're going to, later on in the year, we're going to be launching football colours um, for neck warmers or gloves or, or hats. Um, and this is what I mean about being much more creative with the products that we've got. As more and more people start to look to use, to reuse and remake things, do you envisage your cashmere supply, your cashmere jumper supply, ever running dry and what are you doing to overcome that so it's always been you know, most of my career i mean i'm an accountant but most of my career has been in risk management um and you learn an awful lot from the way that certainly big retailers manage those risks so supply chain risks are often managed by making sure you've got a large number of suppliers so we have six suppliers of cashmere that we can go to at any one point so if one dries up or if a competitor comes into the market, we'd like to think we can get hold of as much cashmere as we want. We do um, twice a year because the UK clothing reprocess has closed down for two weeks, twice a year. Twice a year. Um, and we import cashmere jumpers uh, from abroad from a very uh, good supplier. Um, and, uh, well, we can know we can, we can get as much from him as we want. It is unbelievable. People find it really difficult to imagine how many um, cashmere jumpers are bought every year, let alone thrown away every year. But if you do the numbers of, say, you know, 22 million households in this country, 
say, 5% of people buy a cashmere jumper every year, of which a considerable number buy many, many cashmere jumpers. They're uh, obviously not buying the best of because cashmere can really vary, can't it, in the quality between what you get maybe from the high street that's cashmere for £69 versus what you might buy from Johnson's Velgin, for instance. How do you mitigate that as well? So we made a decision very early on that we weren't going to, from a customer point of view, differentiate between the really good cashmere we get and, say, the less good cashmere. Because, you know, cashmere is, is good. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's got a high benchmark. People love cashmere. And the fact that it's got different colours, people also love that as well. And there's almost like a, an understanding that because it's recycled products, um, people don't really mind whether it's super fa- fantastic cashmere or cashmere you can buy at um, in, in a supermarket. When it comes to the gloves, customers expressed um, their opinions at the market store back in the day that they preferred the gloves that weren't Scottish cashmere because they weren't so thick, they weren't so itchy. Interesting. Okay. Tell everyone about that new charity scheme that you've got. Yeah, we launched the new charity scheme last week uh, where we are going to be giving £5 to uh, the Reynos charity and also to Shelter um, for every jumper that we get in from customers. So we have a glove for your own jumper scheme where people can send in their jumper and what we will do is give them a pair of gloves in return and 10% off their next order. What we're adding to it is donating £5 for every jumper we receive to those charities and we are aiming to uh, raise £10,000 by the end of March and I have to say I think it could well be more than that because we've already had the best part of a 1000 uh, jumpers in is since we launched the scheme eight days ago. So amazing. Uh, yeah. So when you do that, then um, they don't get a pair of gloves with their own jumper. They just get one that are, one that's in stock. Uh, yes, or we or we can make up for them. Okay, it, and then how many pairs of gloves can you get from one jumper in order to make that work? It's normally uh, between one point five and one point eight. Um, and it obviously depends on the size of the jumper. Um, but the, the, the figures we work on is around about between 1.5 and 1.8 pairs of gloves from every jumper. But we try our best to use every single part of the jumper so that we can use other bits of the jumper to make neck warmers or hats or ponchos. Um, and anything, and this is a really exciting project that we've been working on for the last six or eight months, which is now starting to come to fruition. That wonderful word, shoddy. I don't know um, all about this. This is really <laughs> exciting. Yeah, you're yeah. going to have to explain to everyone what shoddy is because I was going to ask the question, what do you do with the must-be tiny little bits that you can't possibly use that is on each jumper? Yeah, so- it's normally the top of the jumper. It's normally the top of the jumper. And um, what we have been doing is working with a wonderful chap called John Parkinson um, up in Bradford um, and Leeds where he was the last person in this country to know how to do shoddying and then he i think his factory burnt down he thought well i'm going to do something different he then went to work in the prison service and got a doctorate explaining how you can get people in prison or prisoners to do amateur dramatics and then he obviously picked up the zeitgeist and realized an awful lot of people were moving back into the recycled area and decided to set up his own factory. So you're going to have to explain to everyone what shoddy is, because a lot of people might not have heard that word before. (laughs) So shoddy is basically the fibres 
and the bits of material left over on the machines that make yarn. And what they do is they then, this could be, you know, 10, 15% of the original fibers that went in. So they then have a way of putting that back into the fibers that you have made. So what they're doing with us is that they're taking our jumper, our cashmere jumper waste, mixing it with British virgin wool and making yarn. And if I could give you an example So they're of spinning it. it. So there it is. Oh, amazing. Does it all come out that sort of grey-blue shape? No. Because it's all the... No. No, no. So what it is, we have four different colourways, um, and this is the first one that's come out as a trial. Um, so that's going to be a mixture of uh, blues and blues and cream, I think. Um, and what okay, got- so you're... Bail it all up. Here's all the blue stuff. Here's all the pinky red stuff. Here's all the cream stuff. And he spins it. Yeah. So each batch of colour will be slightly will be slightly different, I suppose. That, that's correct. And what we want to do with it um, is, firstly, the, the holy grail for us has always been socks. Because if people always come to our store and go, are those socks? Have you got any socks? And we've always had to say, no, because we can't make socks. Because there isn't a way of using an overlocker to convert cashmere waste into something that you can put on your feet. With the this, heel, yeah. This is the deal breaker because putting Yay. that through a sock making machine of which we have, we've got a, we've got a sample coming down later on this week or next week from um, a glove manufacturer. And that will be made from half hour waste, half virgin British wool. And, you mean what? a stock manufacturer, not a glove manufacturer? I'm oh, sorry, did I say sorry? Yes, a, a, <laughs> yeah, he's got gloves on the brain. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> it's been the case for the last ten years, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that that could be really, really good for us. And also, we're going to sell knitting yarn uh, on a cone uh, or in a ball, um, and we'll sell that online and in our in our shop in Shrewsbury. And we're also going to be making throws as well. So, you know, it's uh, so we're really, really, really excited about the possibilities um, from that yeah. project. So the throws will be woven from that yarn from your yes. cashmere scraps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Woven, not knitted. So they'll be they'll be woven by someone up in Bradford or somewhere Correct. in that region. That is absolutely right. That's really exciting. Ah, oh, so that's what you mean when you said you were going into homeware. Ah, no, no. Well, no, actually, that's something else. So um, we are, we've just taken on the, we've got a shop in Shrewsbury, which has been spectacularly successful for us since we moved it there uh, into uh, a nice part at the top of uh, Wild Cop in Shrewsbury. Um, And the new shop has come available next door. And we thought, well, why don't we go into homewares? And why should we restrict ourselves to just those products that we are making? Um, so we have done some research and the time is brilliant. We've been to the NEC, to the Spring Fair this week as sellers, but also as buyers as well. And oh. frankly, we have been amazed, absolutely amazed at the plethora of choice there is out there for British made or at least British sourced recycled products across the whole spectrum of homewares. Um, ah, okay. So it'll all be it'll all be recycled, not just British made. Recycled as no, well. No, it's got to be recycled, absolutely, because people associate turtle doves with being recycled. And I think yeah. that you know we'll experiment with the shop to begin with, and if that works, they might take us six to twelve months to get it right. Next year, hopefully, we'll, we'll then put third party recycled products on our website because we've got a quarter of a million 
um, newsletter customers who love the fact that we are recycled. We don't want to move away from that. So why not expand the product range that's not just cashmere, but it could be made from something completely different, but it had a previous use. Amazing. You've got 250,000 newsletter subscribers. Can we can we go over that number again? That's incredible. Yeah. yeah Is well, there a lot of the, that, has a lot of that come from Facebook? Yeah. Advertising, yeah. Yeah. Um, two-thirds of our traffic over any one year comes from Facebook, has come from Facebook. Um, and, and a third of it, it comes organically or repeat custom um uh, you know word of mouth we're doing a lot more pr these days as well uh just to move yeah. away from facebook um yeah and you know we instagram also has been very very good for us um but it, you know it's the repeat custom that's so good for us as well because we can't make a profit unless customers come back two or three times um yeah because it costs quite a lot which to is get them why which is why, yeah, customer service is so important. And you're right to be focusing so much on customer service. I'm actually on Trustpilot. There was an amazing, we get loads of um, uh, reviews. It's all dead honest, dead verified, and customers can look at those scores and go, those are kosher, genuine reviews. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Brilliant. Well, well done for that. Um, okay, so as we wrap up then, Graham, where can everyone find you? How can they see your products? When are your socks going to be coming out? And where can they find your shop? <laughs> the website is www.turtle-doves.co.uk. Um, our shop is at 83 Wildcop Shrewsbury. And the socks, phew, I don't know, the socks, hopefully, hopefully we should be able to get something online in the summer um, and then seriously ramp up production uh, by uh, by the, the colder months. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, Graham. We got there in the end with the Wi-Fi. I don't know whether the video is going to be um, what we need, but certainly the audio <laughs> we got there with in the end. And a, and a little bit of background noise shows that you're in such a fantastic, buzzy, busy working environment. So keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Kate. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash make it British LTD. That's make it British with the letters LTD. Bye bye. Bye.